Welcome back to A Better Love. I'm your host, Dr. Greg. We're joined again by Dr. Becca Payne today from Santa Monica, California. We're gonna be talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, which is super important to me and, and Dr. Becca. Dr. Becca, thanks so much for coming on the show again. Thank you so much for having me. If you have not already met Dr. Becca, she's been on the show a couple of times, but let me just briefly say that she's practicing psychology out in Santa Monica. We met in Boston. Uh, working with veterans and actually treating PTSD. If you've listened to the show at all, then you know that I'm also a combat veteran who has experienced these this d diagnosis. And so it's very important to both of us. Let's do the bottom line up front with this in terms of love. Is it perfectly possible that even with PTSD, uh, we can have a healthy, long love? Oh, absolutely. It is absolutely possible. And I don't think that PTSD should be thought of as like a death sentence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it can be chronic in some cases, but it is something that is absolutely treatable and probably a protective factor in its treatment to have somebody that you love and that loves you and that you are willing to work to have a relationship with. So Amen yes, to that. Yeah. Amen to that. And it's true. I mean, I, that we'll, we're going to try to persuade anyone who's listening to this right now and maybe experiencing any of the things, the symptoms that we're going to talk about to go get some therapy. And it's absolutely true, Dr. Becca, to have that family support, even just that relationship, uh, romantic relationship in place, totally key to uh, actually recovering from the condition and, it, and that lasting, that sticking. Uh, for listeners who, who don't know what we're talking about right now, and they're like, PTSD, okay, I've heard it a ton of times, but what it, what is it actually? Can we break down some of the, the major symptoms for folks so they understand what it is that uh, pops up for a lot of uh, people who are diagnosed with this? What would you lead us off with? Absolutely. I feel like I've been back in supervision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are the criteria? Yes. Um, criteria is the event which causes PTSD, which would be like a qualifying criteria. That is a situation where you or someone you love and you witness or experience a situation where your life is in danger. It can be from like a natural disaster. It can be from combat. It can be from a car accident, but there's some threat to your life. Mm -hmm. And there's oftentimes what we call hypervigilance. Hypervigilance mm -hmm. is kind of the sense of always being on edge, always being like, like waiting for the other shoe to drop. You have both re-experiencing. There's a few different oh, yeah, clusters of symptoms. You got, you got the re-experiencing stuff that you were just talking about first. Then you've got the hyperarousal stuff that can happen, which can mess with your sleep concentration and other things. So the, the other two, the other two, avoidance, the avoidance cluster symptoms. So oh, yeah. stuff where either avoiding situations, sensory experiences, or either even memories or thoughts that are related to the, the trauma in some way, shape, or form. And then the last one is relatively new to the DSM-5, at least, which is about a negative alteration in cognition or mood, just that we've We've changed in some significant way uh, our mood or the way in which we think or believe uh, the world works or even about things about ourselves. So there's a, t there's a ton of ways that PTSD can show up. It can be kind of hard, actually, to figure out what's going on because it's such a complex and varied presentation, unique for everybody who goes through whatever it is that they go through, would you say? I absolutely would say I have dealt with or treated multiple different people with multiple different forms of PTSD. And there have never been any cases that were exactly alike. There's sometimes similarities, but 
each case is different, each recovery is different. And the idea is that that first thing that you mentioned about that, the event, that that has so significantly impacted us that we are essentially, it's not just a normal memory of a moment in time. It's etched in our, our long-term memory in a way that's like opening up the book to the worst chapter, the most horrific part of the story every time that you go to that that memory or that experience. And so you were saying a little bit earlier that, that it's totally treatable. What's yes. your pitch here? Because I'm about to say something about the chronicity of it. <laughs> what are your thoughts about PTSD being treatable in general? What, what would you want people to know? In my experience working with people, I think a major portion of PTSD is about avoidance. And I think that it becomes more chronic when people will purposely try to avoid that memory, avoid those thoughts. And PTSD is known for being like combat veterans and PTSD tend to go hand in hand. Like that's what the condition is most known for. And that makes sense because when you're in combat, you don't have time to be processing. You don't have time to be like um, unpacking that and like dealing with the trauma of what just happened because like you have to fight another battle that might mm -hmm. traumatize you again. Like it makes sense in that moment that you would pack it all away and be like, can't deal with this now. Mm -hmm. But then the problem is you come home and that stuff that you've packed away starts to come out and it comes out. It's going to come out one way or another. And when we're not controlling how it comes out, we're not dealing with it. We're avoiding it. It starts to come out in ways that we become really problematic. Like for example, every time you fall asleep, you're not on guard. You can't be thinking about how you can't think about this. So you immediately start having nightmares and then you don't want to sleep and you'll avoid sleeping. And then that's its own whole set of problems. Or anytime you hear a loud noise, you're right back and you are flashing back and it just brings you back to where you are. And these are things that, you know, your brain put in place to protect you, but it's now harming you. The idea that PTSD is treatable is, is huge to me. When I first started studying it, and working with it when I was training in Boston, uh, it was super important to me to communicate to my fellow veterans that it was treatable, that people ought to go get therapy. And you and I know that some of those evidence-based uh, treatment modalities, approaches, manualized treatment, prolonged exposure therapy, cognitive processing therapy, other people might like EMDR, I don't know, but that we wanna make sure people go out there and they think that, you know, hey, listen, to give it a good shot, to give it your best shot, you know what I mean? To invest in the time to do the therapy. But I remember when I was teaching, the one class I got to teach in at William James College, when I was teaching that course in military trauma, and we were talking about this, the data on, you know, outcome measures for the prolonged exposure to CPT specifically. And what struck me was the relatively high number of veterans, particularly Vietnam era veterans, where their symptom there was symptom reduction after treatment, but they still met criteria for the condition or something like over 60%, uh, one of the studies I'm thinking about right now. We want everybody to go get some therapy. We want you to, to get the best therapy possible, but for a good portion of folks who experience it, they're gonna still have symptoms. It's gonna be with them for a while, maybe. Might be chronic, okay? Yeah. If that's the case, Dr. Baga, like, what do you think about that in, in in terms of dating? I mean, we're talking about love, we're talking about dating here. When should this stuff come up in conversation if it's something that's going to be around for a while? I mean, so that obviously, you know, the same way that every case of PTSD is different, every person is different, every relationship is different. So I don't think that there is a hard, fast rule of like, you know, you have to tell them by the third date that you struggle with PTSD. Number three, ladies and gentlemen. You're right. No, no, no. Yeah. no. I think it's going to depend on it's going to depend on how the relationship you know the relationship the course of it 
how close you are, how severe your PTSD is, like maybe they suggest you go to an amusement park for your fifth date and you're like, mm, okay, well, before we go off and like put ourselves in some scary situations, you should know this about me. Mm, okay. uh, I just, I'm, that was at the top of my mind because I went to uh, Knoxbury Farm. It was like a scary version for Halloween and there were oh, people yeah. that kept popping out and scaring you. I just remember being like, wow, this would not go well for somebody with PTSD. No, no, people would be on the ground. Like when it feels natural, or maybe it's like you're going to have your first overnight with this person um, and you have night terrors and, mm. you know, you might want to tell them before you spend the night at their house to not wake you up because you mm -hmm. could react violently. I mean, there are, it's going to come up, I think, pretty soon, depending yeah. on the severity. Yeah, there's not a hard and fast rule. I mean, listen, I love numbers. I love hard and fast rules because I'm a Marine. I just like, what are the guidelines, right? But it's true. It's not, there's not going to be a hard and fast. What I really like about the examples that you raised are that they're very specific and contextual. Like, okay, you want to be thinking about how are your symptoms coming up and how intense they are. And yeah, there's going to be maybe a natural, organic way to come about and talk about specific elements of it. Maybe not to come out, you know, say, hey, I have this diagnosis and whatever else. Although... Dr. Becca, it seems like particularly Bumble users really like to hear from the people they're dating that they're going to therapy and like what they're going to therapy for. So I don't know. It could be a thing now. Uh, I mean, yeah, you, you could lead with it. It's it's a move. <laughs> it's definitely a move. It's definitely a move. But the other thing I would say is like, okay, I'm going to say six to 12 months, six to 12 months. If you've been to, with somebody for 12 months, like a year, then you pretty much know, I would hope that you would know a lot about them and, and what is going on for them. And if like any other like major medical condition or whatever that would would influence decisions about like staying with somebody long term, et cetera. I don't know. I think I think that's a that's a good ballpark figure. What do you what do you think? I mean, absolutely. I think by 12 yeah. months, certainly I would yeah. say that depending on the severity is probably going to come up a lot sooner than 12 months. I would sure. say probably within the first five to six dates, mm -hmm. six mm -hmm. to 12 dates even. But again, it, you know, depending on how fast the relationship's progressing, depending on how severe your symptoms are. Yeah. Um, you say I, fast it's progressing because you're talking about like a comfort level between the two people? Yeah, like, you know, how, well, you know, sometimes you can date somebody for a longer time and still be keeping them at a mm -hmm. distance, which is especially if somebody with PTSD might be experiencing that type of avoidance. That's not uncommon or distrust or uh, the thing we're going to talk yeah, about trust is, this, but yeah. these are all normal symptoms so they just i mean the psych the answer to so many things in psychology is really it depends yeah. as frustrating as that is yeah yeah for sure i'm thinking about one of these you know one of the things that we might share and you mentioned a couple examples about this in terms of like hey symptoms wise but you know we hear this idea of triggers we hear that often in various contexts but with ptsd specifically the idea of cues and triggers is a, is a real deal something that we would want anybody who has that condition to understand what those things are and they could be, I'm telling you stuff that you already know, but our listeners for sure, uh, they could be particularly for a combat veteran, maybe who served in Iraq or Afghanistan right now, you know, 10 years ago, whatever, that a really hot day might be one of those cues, a sensory cue to get people back into the memories and whatnot. Should couples specifically, like, let's, let's think people are together for a while. Okay. So that it's serious. They're together, been dating for a while. Should people be sharing what these cues, these triggers are with each other specifically? Oh, absolutely. I think it's critical to be sharing those types of things the same way that you are sharing your likes and dislikes. Like these are things you want to know about your partner. And if it's 
somebody's acting strangely and it's a hot day and you don't know why, like critical to fill that person in because otherwise they're just like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's not even, it could be a hot day. It could be an anniversary. That can be like a really big thing for people with PTSD. Things that seem completely benign to somebody else can absolutely set somebody spiraling. So it's definitely something you're going to want to share with your partner and ideally before it happens, but not everything goes perfectly all the time. This is true. This is true. Particularly in love uh, and relationships, very unpredictable in, in many ways. But yeah, so let's let's talk to each other about what's going on when we do feel comfortable, when we think it's re- we're, we're ready to be able to have that conversation. Let's have the conversation, let people know, uh, hey, this reminds me of, and yeah, that's all you have to say. This reminds me of this. Sometimes I get a little anxious. Sometimes I get a little whatever. Just share that. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go into great detail about things necessarily. I want you to know if I'm, you know, if I seem a little stressed or a little distant for the next couple of days, this is the anniversary of a really difficult day for me. So just, you know, I want you to know that it's not you, but I might seem a little off and it's because I am a little off. And we've got folks out there, uh, some of you who may be listening to this right now, maybe some of the symptoms we've described resonated with you. Maybe you're thinking right now, I don't know, do I have PTSD? If that question has come to your mind, go see somebody like Dr. Becca or me out in the community, wherever you live in the country or the world, and go get yourself evaluated and consider maybe therapy if that's the case. Now we know that if it's regardless, sexual trauma, combat trauma, motor vehicle accidents, whatever it is, stepping through the door and actually seeking therapy for the, these things is is uh, quite insurmountable of an obstacle for many, many people. But what are the benefits? How could someone's life improve if they actually decided to do some therapy, do you think? Oh my God. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be like a quick fix and you're going to like immediately go back to how you were before anything happened, but it's, I think it's your best chance at getting there at some point. Yeah, it makes life more tolerable, makes it hard, easier to deal with difficult things. I mean, how can't therapy improve you? Yeah, we, I mean, we listen, we, we, we want you to go get therapy. We, yeah. We're big fans of therapy here at A Better Love Project. And it's definitely the case that even if in a couple, in a relationship, maybe one person, the person who's experiencing things is a little reluctant. But that could be a conversation between a couple who's been dating for a while and that's serious, whatever else. That could be a conversation like, hey, sweetheart, love, have you ever thought about going to therapy and talking about this? It can be gentle, just like I just did. And we want people to have those conversations, by the way. Sometimes that's the best way we get people in the door because their spouse or their partner's like, you got to go to therapy. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I think it is normal that people are afraid to go to therapy because your brain has been trying to protect you by not thinking about something it's the reason that they say like if you fall off a horse get right back on because like it's like the longer you let something sit and put it off and avoid it the scarier it starts to become so a lot of times I feel like people with PTSD the last thing they want to do is go somewhere specifically with the intention of talking about this thing that they absolutely don't want to discuss ever yes Um, 100% and that you know those are valid feelings But I guess what we're saying is that you should do it anyway. Yeah. Expose yourself to the anxiety. That's the only way it's it's through it. That's the only way to get on the the other side. The only way out of hell is through it, they say. Yeah. Yeah. So trust and safety are big deals for folks who have gone through trauma in any way. So again, 
we're talking about sexual trauma, uh, combat trauma, any, anything that falls under the criteria that Dr. Becca brought up uh, earlier on the show. How big of it is an issue in relationships specifically? And like, what is it that you would suggest to a partner who has someone who's going through uh, post-traumatic stress symptoms to be thinking about when it comes to like trust and safety? What, what should be on their, their mind about that? I think it's, it's really critical to be a trustworthy like if you're trying to support a partner with PTSD to make sure that you are a safe and trustworthy person, you can do that by being consistent, mm -hmm. um, being calm, being measured mm -hmm. uh, by, I mean, ideally you want to know what their triggers are and help them to avoid them or help them to like prepare for an inevitable trigger, like say, okay, like the 4th of July is coming up. So there's going to be fireworks that you're probably going to have to experience. What's our plan? Just be a partner to yeah. somebody and support them when they are unable to support themselves. Yeah. Yeah. The fireworks situation is, is a, a great example. We know it comes up for a bunch of people in combat vets specifically uh, and asking that question, really good suggestion. You might not think about this as something that uh, fosters trust and safety, but you kind of talked about consistency and you also talked about being, I don't know, cool-headed, I think basically you said, right? Yeah. Very simple, straightforward things like, uh, which would engender trust and, and safety. Like you you got plans to go on a date or you got a show to show up to. Even the idea that you get out the door in a reasonable manner and it's not super stressful and it's sort of on time. <laughs> That that's like that that even that is a is an example of like okay I can depend on this person in a slightly more stressful situation or even traveling if you're traveling overseas with somebody the idea of like okay we're not going to lose our cool if things don't go exactly right and we get out again we get out the door we, we all we all know how stressful travel is sometimes yeah. but again that idea of like this person is going to lose their shit when when something happens I think is at least a big deal for. A lot of folks have been through trauma where they want to have a sense that that person is going to, you know, show up. They're going to be there, you yeah. know, when it's stressful. Well, and it's like, you know, who knows what the trauma is like, say a glass of water spills and a glass breaks and to one person is a disaster. You ideally you want someone else to be like, look, it's cool. It's just a glass. Mm -hmm. We can wipe it up, mm -hmm. throw it away. Mm -hmm. It's done. It's over. We're good. If both people kind of feed into it, then it can make it a lot worse yeah and which would be especially tricky if maybe you are in a relationship if you're listening to this right now maybe you have some of these experiences but maybe even your partner has some of this stuff and we know that it's going to make things a little bit more challenging particularly if neither one of you have gone to therapy yet so go to therapy and, and get a, at least a little bit of a grasp on it i would say but yeah trust and safety huge things. And I'm going to go back to one more time to something Dr. Becca said, which is consistency, you know, just being consistent and showing up, being dependable and reliable, I think is, is really, really important. The other thing that comes up is this idea of avoidance. You mentioned this avoidance gets mixed with anxiety and a little distrust. All of a sudden, it's really, really hard for people not only to maybe date, but they're not able to maintain connections to community and friendships and, and other things for a healthy long-term relationship. Uh, particularly for somebody who has PTSD, how important is it to have these these social connections? Oh, I mean, it's incredibly important, I think, for anybody in any relationship, but particularly when somebody is struggling with any type of mental illness, mm -hmm. relationships, uh, both social 
and family, romantic, but they are key in supporting somebody and helping them to come out of it and, you know, start to return to their normal life. Um, and it's something that can be challenging because when you are, when you're, you know, in a deep depression or you're struggling with PTSD and have been isolating, you're not necessarily able to reach out to your friends or you don't feel like you can, you don't put in the legwork that you might otherwise to maintain those relationships to be you know being a partner to somebody or being a good friend to somebody who's going through that it's on the partner to especially if they know this person's having a hard time to be the one to reach out to even though they said no the last four times you asked them to hung it hang out, ask them again, mm -hmm. ask them if it's okay, if you come over, like be there for them anyway. Yeah. So the friends, so we're, we're, we're speaking to friends of folks who are going through some right now, maybe uh, PTSD or anything else, any other yeah. serious mental health condition to be aware of that, that how hard it is to maintain those connections. The other thing I think about is, is this, it's in this, it's an old school kind of way of being in relationship and heterosexual relationships particularly, but where there's a like significant amount of emotional requirements placed on that partner or demands, I should say, for validation and connection and whatever else. And all of a sudden it's just, just that one person, your romantic partner who, you know, you're leaning on probably you and I would both agree that we would want, you'd have a lot of people to be able to lean on. And it's not just that one person that that's. Yeah. We don't want anybody to expect they're going to get all their emotional needs from just a romantic partner. Would, would you agree? I, I would 100% agree, particularly if you're going through something like PTSD, but really all the time, it's important to maintain multiple relationships in your life. Now, one of the things that can get tricky with relationships, even beyond uh, a romantic relationship, but particularly a romantic relationship, is our attachment to somebody. And if we've gone through something like a more complex PTSD, which I actually would love for you to describe to our our listeners that could be especially challenging what what is this idea of complex PTSD and what are your thoughts about how it impacts attachment well so i'll start with what is complex PTSD traditional PTSD or PTSD as it's most commonly referred to is there's an event, typically a singular event, like a car accident, um, an incident in combat, it could be a sexual assault, there are any number of things, but it's typically one really bad thing that happened. Complex PTSD, there are multiple bad things that have happened, and they've happened over an extended period of time. So like you could have complex PTSD from like a long term abusive relationship, you could have had abusive parents that have put you through multiple traumas during your formative years, it's still possible to get complex PTSD from combat, um, a situation where you're in multiple traumatic situations again and again and again. But yes, essentially, it's like regular PTSD, but there's just more of it. And if it's something that's happened in childhood, as you mentioned, which a lot of this you know, more complex stuff comes from, and we've talked about this before, we've talked about attachment on the show together before, it's, it's going to influence maybe our attachment style. And we, oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what, what might we come up with uh, with the little complex PTSD in terms of our attachment style? Dr. Becca, what do you... A lot of times the complex PTSD, you see disorganized attachment style, where which is a mix of avoidant and anxious. And sometimes it seems like there's not any rhyme or reason to which one you're in in any moment. If you have complex PTSD coming from your childhood, mm -hmm. chances are you're going to have some form of insecure attachment. And yeah. that is going to affect your relationship. So if that's you, if you're listening to this right now, and if you've gone through it, 
when you were a kid, particularly, we want you to have a sense of how that's influenced your relationships, in particular, how it's influenced the security of your attachments and how insecure or secure that may feel. And all these things, again, are really important topics to bring up if you're in, in individual, individual therapy or if you're doing couples therapy to talk to your provider about all good reasons to invest in yourself and not uh, stay in the dark on your own mental health and what's impacting your relationships. Dr. Becker, that's all the time that we have for today. I am so glad that you came back on the show tonight and I appreciate you so much. Thanks for coming back on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful as always. If you wanna learn more about Dr. Becca and what she's up to in the world, you can find her on Instagram and I think TikTok at it's yeah. Dr. Payne. Is it the same tag for both right now? Yep, it's the same tag for both. It's Dr. Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. P-A-Y-N-E. And as always, you can find us at A Better Love Project on TikTok, YouTube, and elsewhere. Ladies and gentlemen, from my heart to yours, love each other fiercely. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.